Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is AJ Cravel. AJ serves as conservator and um, also governance director. He is um, working to um, improve schools from F ratings in academics, finance, and governance. And um, he has helped move districts um, in, to fo- focus school boards on student outcomes and governance. His book, Great on Their Behalf, published in March, discusses this. He also provides support to schools implementing student-led restorative practices. He supports districts when a school is having challenges with his governance. Welcome to the podcast, AJ. Thank you for having me. Well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Oh, I appreciate the theme of the conversation because I feel like so often the task isn't will we be in the trenches and trying to claw our way out uh, it's when we're in the trenches um, and have to claw ourselves out like will we have the resources we have the supports will we have the things we need um, you know in my journey there there are parts um, of my childhood coming up through education systems where in those moments of being in the trenches, I didn't have the skill set that I needed to see my way out of that. And it was really only by the grace and the skill of really talented public school educators who were able to support me in moments when I was not going to see my way out, uh, in moments when I simply didn't even understand that there was a way out. Uh, and so that is a large part of what has inspired me in career-wise to work in public education and to try to ensure that school systems are created in such a way that they have to create that pathway for others. Uh, professionally, then, you know, I find myself on the other side of the journey of how do we uh, how, how have I found myself in places as an adult where I'm back in that trenches? And one of the things that public school educators taught me that helped me pull my way out. One of the examples of that time that most resonates for me is was working with a group of students, and the students that I've always chosen to work with. Uh, that I've been most drawn to are students who come from significant struggle and they're kind of, I think of them as the little AJs, you know, they made many of the unfortunate type of decisions that I made growing up as well. And in this particular case, the students I was working with, I did not manage the expectations that they had of me in the way that I needed to, in the way that they deserved. And the result of that was 
I have found myself in a trust deficit with students who've already, much like myself in their position, who've already quickly figured out that they're not going to trust most adults to begin with. And I began to build that relationship and then didn't manage expectations and really found myself in a place where I, I was rapidly losing my ability to, to be a positive influence in their lives. In the same way that if an adult had not followed through on the things they allowed me to expect when I was a child, I probably would have tuned them out as well. And so finding myself on the other end of this experience uh, was actually incredibly dreadful. And I think at the moment, as I reflect back, I had plenty of excuses for why I didn't follow through in the way that I'd allow them to expect I would. Um, but it really was just a bunch of excuses. It, it wasn't me at my best. It wasn't me really living into the things I'm committed to. Um, the work of trying to rebuild those relationships, to kind of dig myself out of the hole that I put myself into, really looked like first being humble enough to acknowledge that I didn't honor the expectations I allowed them to have of me, which is a really, really painful conversation you know, to have, particularly with their young people who I feel like really looked up to me and like the sense of their disappointment probably more than anything else is just really uh, painful. But the first step is simply acknowledging uh, that, I, that I hadn't honored the expectations I allowed them to have. Um, and then giving my word again and saying, here's what you can expect. And then actually doing the work to honor my word, regardless of what honoring my word might cost going forward. Uh, but that process just serves as a reminder of how critical um, it is going to be for me in working with young people that, especially if they already experienced untrustworthiness from other adults, that I had to be above reproach and the things that I allowed them to expect of me. Uh, when I, I had to be um, absolutely pristine and honor my word with them. Otherwise, I, I would lose the opportunity and the privilege of being in relationship with them and being able to serve them effectively. Um, I, I like to think that these days I do a much better job of that. Uh, recently, an <laughs> example, I later this week, a group of my students and I will be speaking at a national conference. And I, I promised them, hey, we're going to be at the national conference. It's going to be great. You know, we're going to be a panel. We're going to be able to talk about the work that we do. That's going to be fabulous. But I didn't read the fine print. And so only later on did I realize the conference was willing to cover uh, lodging, hotel space for the students and I. But they weren't going to cover airfare for the students and I. And so very late into the situation, I had to scramble with some of the uh, other adults uh, who are helping organize this to figure out how are we going to get these five students you know, from Houston to Chicago to speak at this conference. Uh, but it, it was never a question of, are we gonna scramble and figure out how to make this work? Because we'd already given our word. Um, and you know, 
that this idea that we would somehow go back on our word just because I didn't do my homework to make sure I had all the details in place is just not an option. And so I, I hope that I've learned uh, that I've got to be much more cautious about that. But when I do, I have to be prepared to honor it whatever it winds up costing, in some case, literally costing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that that previous experience has helped you really see you know how you can do what's best for students and honor your word like you said um and making sure the students are able to um, get what they were promised so to speak and um you know that they're able to have that experience so um in the bio i talked about your book uh, which was recently published great on their behalf um so talk to me about um what um people can learn from this book and um, who is it geared towards yeah, this book is in part a love letter to every school board member in the country who's found themselves struggling trying to figure out how how do I be of service in my school system in the way I intend. Like, it, what's not in question is the intention written on the heart of school board members all across the country. What's really in question is how can I make manifest that intention in reality in a boardroom. It's a little more complicated than just hoping that things will work out. There, there's there's a real method to what are the things that I would have to do? What were the changes I would have to make in my behavior to really have the impact at the scale of a school system? Um, and so it's really written you know, for those folks who either aspire to be on a school board or serving on a school board or really are just in a advocacy position where they're really trying to figure out what can I do as a parent, as a community leader, as an education educator to really have an influence with my school board. What should they be doing and what can I do to help support them and being great on behalf of the students uh, that they serve? So right now we are um, going into um, you know election season. This will be released around the time school boards are electing new members. Um, so for those who uh, might be running for school board for the first time or people who are voting in their district for school board. Talk a little bit about the trials and tribulations about being a school board member um, and um, how you do how you manage to accomplish more even if there are a lot of controversies and um, disagreements. Yeah, I think one of the challenges, so first I should say, I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I ran for the school board. I would like to I certainly at the time I believed I did. And I think most people, if they're running the book, yes, I absolutely know what I'm running for. And I would have told you that, and I would have been just as self-deceived then. Uh, but the reality is, is only after I got on school board that it, it became painfully clear to me the extent to which I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. And the, the challenge of that, again, isn't that I didn't have a desire to make a meaningful difference in the lives of children. It's that I didn't know what what's the mechanism, what are the means for doing so. Um, and so in the absence of me understanding that, there's a real danger, is because people in the community have their view, their ideas, their expectations about what a school board member might do. And it ranges from everything. I had people call me up to say, hey, can you get my cousin a job? Hey, my kid doesn't like their teacher. Can you get me into a different classroom? Um, hey, you know, my kid didn't get enough playing time on their athletics team or didn't get the part that they wanted to play, all the way to the totally absurd. Hey, there's a pothole on my street. Are you the people who come and fill that in? It's like, no. 
None of these are things that a school board member does. Zero percent of these are part of the job description. But in the absence of being clear about how we do make a difference, I can see the temptation of board members to try to say, okay, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, but this is what people keep bringing to me, so I'll just do these things. The challenge is that when board members chase these individual needs of individual community members, what we can find ourselves doing is unintentionally ignoring the larger needs of the community as a whole. I'm so busy trying to satisfy these individual people with their individual tasks, which is really what a staff's job is. Like if if little AJ of third grade AJ, you know, needs uh, <clears throat> some type of modification in their classroom, the school board doesn't need to be involved in that. That's really a conversation between the parent and the teacher. Like the school board should get in the middle of that. You know, if there's some type of concern about class you know, available classes at the high school, the school board member should be involved in that. That's a conversation between you know, the parent and the counselor, the parent and the principal or something like that. <clears throat> and so identifying where the areas that I can't be successful is actually a big part of success in school board land because those are the types of things that you're constantly hearing. And so in the book, I try to lay out why it is that as board members we often fall into some of these pitfalls of spending a ton of energy on things that feel good for one person but don't actually serve all children. They'll make me popular with this one individual, but they're not actually going to help me have the impact I want throughout the school system at large. And so that's that's kind of where the book starts. But then where the book concludes is what are the steps that would be involved in actually living out my aspirations for having an impact as a school board member and really looking at what are the critical pieces. And in the book, I offer five specific steps uh, as part of a continuous improvement process that school boards can be involved in, that school board members can, can really lead the charge on, that really helps school boards really represent the vision and values of the entire community, not just the wants and whims of individual community members. Yeah, I can see how that easily um, becomes an issue when there are those voices that are the loudest and the board members want to serve those no doubt. instead of the, the larger um, community. And also, it is funny how people think, you know, you can do transportation, road work, those types of things, um, and really <laughs> kind of get the idea wrong of what you can help them with, even if it yeah. has to do with something within a school building. Um, so you also work a little bit in um, outside of your... Um, school district that you work with. You work with um, superintendents and school boards and um, just helping them um, become um, better at working together for the community. So tell me about some of the work you've done um, in, in just um, helping them maintain um, good relationships and be effective. Yeah, what are the <clears throat> I think one of the challenges that a lot of school systems have is that these School systems are by design institutions, you know, of people. Like eighty-five percent of every school district budget is humans. I mean, it's just that's where the resources are because it's really this hands-on institution trying to provide service directly to children, <clears throat> and that's just a really adult-intensive uh, exercise. It means 
school systems have tons of people involved with them. <clears throat> you've got the staff who are supporting your educators. You've got your educators who are supporting your students and families. You've got your central office staff who are supporting your building level staff. You have your school board folks. And one of the biggest challenges the larger a team gets is how do we how do we keep everybody aligned and on the same page? I think about the difference between DeSoto, uh, where I serve, where we have 10 schools. And so that means I've got 10 principals. I can literally fit all 10 my principals around a conference table and we can have a conversation. But simultaneously, I also, again, one particular district that I'm working with now, they have 200,000 students. They have hundreds of schools. You can't fit all one uh, all those hundreds of principals around the same table, conference table, and and have this routine conversation. And and so the the challenge is the more that we scale up, the harder it is to maintain an aligned sense of vision around what is it that we're all trying to accomplish that requires us operating in unison. Like there are some things that we don't all have to be in unison about. You all could be doing tacos on Tuesday. We could be doing hamburgers on Tuesday. That's going to work out. But there are other things that we actually have to be in alignment on. Like what I'm teaching third graders in my elementary school on this side of town probably needs to be very similar to what you're teaching third graders on your, your side of town. Now, how you teach it is probably going to vary, but that you're teaching the same core set of expectations, that, sh that shouldn't vary. You know, the instructional methods you know, are going to vary by teacher and by school, but the instructional content probably shouldn't. And so the challenges, the larger we get, the, the more struggle there is. And how do we keep all of these adults, uh, this institution of people, this institution of love, how do we keep people rowing in the same direction, so to speak? This is where a lot of the work uh, the book uh, really lives and trying to think through first we have to declare what's what's what are the priorities what are the things that we say matter most so much so that we're actually willing to sacrifice other things for these things uh, that that's the first step if, if we haven't if we haven't identified in some way what is the main thing that we're all going to be focused on and we're all going to be rowing toward then it, it's really hard to ever get all of the adults all of the people in the system aligned and moving in the same direction so the first step is really clarifying what are the priorities that we're going to focus on. Uh, the next step in the process is then getting clear about how are we going to monitor whether or not our behavior is in alignment or not. It's not enough to say, here's what our behavior should be aligned to. We also need a, we also need a system in place that lets us know when we are getting more in alignment with that and when we're falling out of alignment with that. Um, and so having some system for monitoring progress is your next step and, and then after that you need to have some benchmarks in place for how will i know if we're aligning our resources with uh with our priorities like it, it's not enough to say these are the things that we prioritize is this where we're spending our money uh is this how we're rewarding talent uh, is this uh if we have an additional hundred dollars are we are we making sure that it goes into the things that we've declared as priorities rather than spent on things that we've declared that we haven't declared as priorities. And so the, the discipline around resource allocation becomes really critical. And so these are three major topics of uh, my work. 
around helping leadership teams, the superintendent uh, and their staff, as well as the school board, really help drive performance improvements in the schools. Uh, how are we clarifying the priorities? How are we monitoring progress? And, and then how are we aligning resources with those priorities? This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, and I think those um, are very clear um, ways of starting out if there is a school board where the large majority has recently been elected and um, really trying to bring things forward, like you said, and see what's best for students and look at those priorities. Um, I also talked about in the bio that you work to support schools with implementing student-led restorative practices. Um, So talk to me a little bit about that and how um, a lot of schools don't get training for this, um, but how they can effectively use this and also mesh that with the work of culturally responsive pedagogy. Yeah, that's actually what my students and I are traveling to go speak about this week is a group of students uh, that had the privilege of training in student-led mediation circles where when drama would jump off this imagine that middle school high school drama that seems unlikely uh and so when, when the inevitability of drama does uh jump off what we'd really like to do as adults is we'd like to you know sit you know little dana and little aj down and say okay you know let's let's process through this let's figure out you know what's going on under this um let's just create a safe space for you two gaining a sense of connection and through that connection being able to navigate whatever your conflict is that's what we'd like to do as adults but we don't do that in schools not because we don't want to but because in five minutes i've got 36 more students who are going to be showing up here so i don't actually have time to lead a conversation about that for you all so i just really need you to shake hands behave like rational humans and go on to your next class but that doesn't actually solve the underlying challenge that little Dana and little AJ are having. And it's not actually fulfilling the desires of my heart as the adult in the situation. It's just the realities of time and responsibilities. We just haven't designed schools. We haven't resourced schools in a way that I have the spaciousness to have that conversation. But the conversation still needs to be had. Like when there's conflicts, we still need to have that intentional laboratory space for helping students learn how to navigate conflict just as part of being useful reasonable humans in in the world like we 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 actually want children growing up with skills around how to be humans effectively with other humans and so enter into that cavity of need this idea of student-led restorative practices where we're saying that the restorative work needs to happen you know, that there need to be these intentional moments. We refer to the circles where we, we come together, we sit down, usually literally in a circle, to really process through whatever the situation is. But training students to help lead those conversations, facilitate those conversations, rather than relying on adults to do so. Uh, some of the benefits here are you know, pretty obvious when you start to think about it. One, schools have a lot of students in them, as it turns out. And so we can essentially pull some of them in and deputize them to lead this work. That really is a uh, strength multiplier for the adults. And then now instead of me as an adult having to be the one who sits down and has this conversation and really facilitates 
this navigation of conflict. Now we've got students who can do it. So that we have more time because the student can actually spend the next hour or whatever is necessary helping facilitate that conversation whereas a teacher, I just wouldn't have the time to do so. Um, and in addition to solving for the time element, there's another really amazing thing that's happening is that I find whoever is facilitating these conversations that help navigate the conflict, the person facilitating it is actually gaining more skills about conflict navigation, even the people who are in the seats experiencing the facilitation. And so when adults are facilitating it, that's great. That means adults are gaining skills. When students are facilitating it, it means students are gaining skills. Uh, it, it's making them stronger and stronger as a result of being the ones who are doing this. I want every student to have a robust toolkit of skills around how do I navigate the inevitable ups and downs of life in a way that still allows me to be successful in my own terms. And this is one particular strategy that really puts those, intentionally puts those skills in the hands of our students. Yeah, and I think that's a great way of students um, really navigating and learning those skills. Um, if they'll use an adulthood. Uh, may I ask what conference uh, you're taking a group of students to? Interestingly enough, it's a school board conference. Um, the uh, Consortium of State School Board Associations is having a uh, Urban Boards Alliance Symposium in Chicago this weekend. Uh, myself and five uh, students will be on stage as the closing keynote of sort, uh, talking about this work of bringing student-led restorative practices into their schools. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the, the best way to show how it works because adults can learn how to do things, but like for students to really buy in, it's seeing other students do that. So. Absolutely. Oh yeah, when, when, when little AJ turns his life around and all of a sudden he's the arbiter for peace and yeah. for conflict resolution rather than just tearing everything up, like that's a, <laughs> that is a powerful influence on the other students in the building and it, like they'll experience that in a way that's very different than you know some old gray-haired guy like me coming and saying hey you all should just get along you know like it just hits differently when it's coming from one of your colleagues in particular if it's a, if it's one of your peers who may have taken a few steps down a different path now watching them take a few steps down a, down a very different path uh can be a really powerful inspiration for their peers mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit about the board elections that, that are taking place um, as this is coming out. Um, often uh, communities have uh, people who sound great uh, and people who um, might just be doing it for the notoriety or for a cause that they wanna promote. So um, in terms of just um, general personality traits, um, who do you think or what type of people should or should not be running for school board? And how can the voter identify the best candidates? Yeah, so I think first, what's helpful with this conversation is to, to have an understanding of what is the job of the board. And then that can help inform uh, answer to the question you ask about, okay, how do we know who's really well positioned to do the job? First, it's helpful to know what is the job that we're hiring them to do. And I do encourage people to think of it. This is a hiring process. Like you are hiring people to perform a job. Uh, the hiring process happens to be an election, but it's a hiring process nevertheless. 
And so I, I encourage people to think of it the same way you think of any other hiring process. What is the job that we're hiring people to do? And then what are the things that will most indicate someone's readiness to perform in, the, in that particular job? So first, the job. So school systems only exist for one reason, and that's to improve student outcomes, to cause improvements in what students know and are able to do. This is the only reason school systems exist. School systems don't exist to have balanced budgets. They don't exist to employ people. They don't exist to make teachers happy, parents happy. They don't exist to buy books and have yellow buses. Like These are all things that schools do, and it's really valuable to do these things, but it's not why school systems exist. School systems exist for one reason, one reason only, and that's to improve student outcomes, to cause improvements in what our students know and are able to do. The challenges in our communities, most of them are just too large to have everybody in the community sit around a table and make decisions about what student outcomes are most important. And so a long time ago, somebody came to the clever decision. Well, if we can't all sit around the table talking about what is our vision for what children should know and be able to do and what are our community's values that need to be honored by the school system. If we can't all sit around the table, then what we should probably do is hire some people to, to sit at that table on our behalf who will represent our vision for what children should know and be able to do and represent our values that should be honored along the process to improving student outcomes. And this lovely group of humans we now refer to as the school board. And this gives you your first insight into your question is that the school system exists to improve student outcomes. In pursuit of improving student outcomes, the school board exists to represent the vision and the values of the community. This is the only reason the school board exists. Everything the school board does should fit within uh, that descriptor. And if they're doing something that is outside of that, they're outside of their reason for existing. That the reason the school board exists is to represent the vision and value of the community, represent the community's vision for what students should know and be able to do and to represent the community's values, the non-negotiables that need to be honored in the school system. So once you understand that that's why school boards exist, is to represent the vision and values of the community, that actually makes our filtering pretty straightforward. If you have the capacity to represent the vision and values of the community, ta-da, you are qualified. If you lack the capacity to represent the vision and values of the community, then you're not. This starts to answer some really simple questions like, well, how come you have to actually live in the school district to serve on the school board? Well, because you're living here, we have decided is a meaningful distinction regarding whether or not you can likely represent the people who, in fact, live here. It also highlights some misconceptions, which is, oh, well, I can't run for the school board because I'm not an education expert. Well, you're not called to be an education expert on the school board, you hire someone for that. We refer to that person as a superintendent. It's not your job to be the education expert. So you don't have to be. As long as you can represent the vision and values of the community, then you are eligible to serve on the school board. Oh, well, um, I'm not a legal expert or I'm not a financial expert. Like we put all these artificial boundaries up, but the school board service is not about those things. The school board service is about, can you represent the vision and values of the community? And if you can do that, then you're ready. Um, now you just need some training about what that looks like. Um, but there, there shouldn't be all these other high you know, level filters for like any, anyone who lives, works, worships, plays, you know, any, any of our parents, you know, any of our educators who are maybe retired or work in a different school system, like anyone who is here 
uh, is has capacity to be the the person for the job. Um, it, it doesn't take some unique skill set above and beyond. Can I represent the vision values of my community? Yes, I think that's a great way of uh, just uh, wording it. That um, that is the bottom line, right? If that is um, what you should look for in a candidate, and um, like you said, um, sometimes there are people that are education experts or retired educators that run, or or lawyers. Um, in my area, it tends to be um, a lot of people who run. But um, yeah, it's just somebody who lives in the community who knows what's best to how to serve those students. So. Um, yeah, so I think that looking at candidates that are on the list and hearing uh, the discussions leading up to election, uh, you know, for voters to choose, how can that person best represent the vision and values of the community? Well, we've had a great conversation today um, talking about your work uh, with school boards and restorative practices and your book. Out of everything we talked about, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? Uh, I would just, I would want folks to, Take away that you know all of us as communities have a role to play in the service to our students. Uh, that some of those roles are more obvious. If I'm a parent, I have a pretty obvious role that I probably need to play in the school system. Uh, if I'm an educator, I probably have a pretty obvious role. But so do all the rest of us. Like for young people to thrive, what we know is that they need to be surrounded by a community of caring. Uh, adults caring individuals and so even if I'm not a parent even if I'm not an educator uh, I can still be a mentor I can still be a tutor um, I can still in some way be directly invested in the lives of young people in our community and, and I can make a difference in that regard and so I'm, I'll just call on you know on all of us uh, living in communities to always be thinking through what are the things that I could be doing um, in my role. I don't have to be a school board member. I don't have to be a teacher. I don't have to be a parent. What are things I could be doing to help create um, the world that I want for the children in our community? Well, it's so important to remember whether or not your role is a parent or a educator. Um, what, where can people connect with you and find you online? Yeah, uh, I'd certainly encourage folks to reach out um, if they want to continue the conversation. They can email me at just aj at ajcrable.com. It's aj at ajcrable.com. Uh, or if they're curious about uh, the book, um, the book is great on their behalf. It's the website, is great on their behalf.com. Great. Well, I make sure to put that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. It was a pleasure. Thanks for making time for me today. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC.